Sounds like we're playing soccer later. All right, well, good morning. So, years and years ago, it feels like a while ago now, but um, as I say with the kids, just a moment, we're going to be in Book of James, chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. So, if you want to make your way there, that is where we'll spend our morning. Years and years ago, when Natalie and I first met, my wife Natalie and I first met, I was this up-and-coming hospitality leader with, with great, great visions of being a general manager by the time I was 30. Great visions of being a manager, a general manager, in charge of my own hotel, in charge of my own place. And obviously things change, right? Over a course of time, things change. As a matter of fact, that specific path kind of changed even before I met Natalie back in 2004, when I had a horrible car accident that actually changed my career path completely. The morning I was in the emergency room, my my manager at the time received a phone call from a director of sales 35 miles southeast of where I ended up working and where I eventually met Natalie. This would have completely changed the course of not only my life, but also my career. So instead, I went on a medical leave for seven weeks and basically returned to Manhattan Beach, California in a very similar position that I left. So obviously things changed in 2004, and then later, about five years later, things changed again. The economy went south, and the hotel business was suffering greatly, and the travel industry and the hospitality industry, they take a long, long time to recover from bad economic times. So towards uh, the end of 2009, I had an opportunity to come to Tucson and uh, watch over a restaurant for a couple months on the west side. So I ended up spending a couple months down here, and when I told Natalie, I can legitimately remember her saying, where? Tucson, it's, I think it's in Arizona somewhere. When I map-quested it, it was about 500 miles from here. So in 2009, those plans changed for us as well. And even though my path was kind of similar, I don't think either of us dreamed of settling here in Tucson. And then in 2017, as many of you know, I've shared this before as well, we ended up making another career change. And this was a much different career change because it was a calling from the Lord for me to be here. So all these things occurred over the course of my adult life. And here I stand before you because this is where God wanted me to be all along. So I I think one of those things that we see, and then of course the pandemic kind of changed some plans too. And I ended up doing something even before this. But in the end, I stand here. So that's what we're going to see from James this morning. We're going to see how we can make these grand plans for our lives. But unless God's in charge of those plans and unless we're following his command and his will, then it it, it could be sometimes useless for us. So we're going to kind of talk about this and James is going to give us wisdom on planning because I'm sure that's exactly what we came here to do today. So join me as I read James chapter 4, 13 through 17. And we'll start at verse 17. James says this, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are but a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. 
interesting passage. So I'm going to just give you our main idea to start off, and then we'll kind of go into a little bit of background very briefly, then we'll head into the text. Main idea today is this. A wise disciple seeks the Lord's will in all their steps. Seeks the Lord's will in all their steps. So I think we do need to get a little bit of background because James seems like he's saying one thing, but I think we're going to see here that he's not exactly saying that. Um, So James is addressing this group of, of travelers, of merchants. So back in those times, that was a huge, huge way that these individuals made a living. They traveled, they traded, they spent time in certain certain areas, and they spent time in trade. So it was not abnormal for traveling merchants, and it wasn't abnormal for them to settle down in a specific area. They, 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 their trade areas and their trade partners were in many areas, Tyre, Sidon, Caesarea, Crete, Philippi, Ephesus, Thessalonica, Rome. They were all over. So it wasn't abnormal for this to occur. So James wasn't exactly saying, hey, don't go travel and make a living. That's not what James was saying. He wasn't saying not to labor or to participate in commerce, which was their livelihood. What he was doing is he was questioning motive. He was questioning their heart. He was questioning their focus in what they were doing. And we'll see that here shortly. Another thing to consider, and this section is interesting too, because it it, it seems like he might be addressing a specific group of people, but there's several commentaries I read this week. This actually just might be an illustration and what this, if this is an illustration, which I don't know for sure, obviously, this might tie it directly back to what we saw just last week in like verses 10 through 12. And, and if you recall, if you were here last week or reviewed the sermon or at least have read the chapter before, you would know that this last section we talked through was about this idea of worldliness and James's warning against living in the world. So maybe he was just saying, hey, look, here's an example of what we just talked about. Those of you who might go out and say, we're going to do this and this. So that's one thing that we potentially can see here. So I think what we can do is we can paint a picture of what James is talking about here. And what I want to do is I want to paint a picture and discuss this idea of a plan and a path. So there's a plan that's made and a path that is taken. So in verses 13 and 14 and verse 16, what we see is we see a dangerous plan. Now, again, if you go back and read this section, you're probably thinking, what's so dangerous about this? What's so dangerous about this plan? And this is dangerous for two reasons. The first reason that we see is God is missing from the plan. If you look carefully at the language, God's not there. God wasn't in their plan, and that's why we see that that is dangerous. Verse 13, there's this idea of presumption that we see from this passage They're presuming so many things. They're presuming they were in complete control of what was going to happen to them. They they were presuming that they were in control of when they would be able to do something. They they presumed that they would be in control of their movements. They presumed that they would be in control of their destination. They presumed that they would be in control of their time. They presumed that they would be in control of what and where they were going to do this. And finally, they presumed that they were even in control of their own success. But God wasn't in that picture. God wasn't there, and that's why that's part of that's dangerous. Verse 14, we can learn a couple of quick lessons. We can learn a couple of quick lessons from verse 13 or 14. First lesson is we don't know what tomorrow brings. We don't know what tomorrow brings. Many of us have experienced that firsthand. Or we just don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. 
or if even tomorrow is there. This is a reminder to us that only God knows tomorrow. Only God knows what tomorrow will bring. He's the one who knows the future, if there is one for us. He's the one who has written the end of our story already. And we have to, to remember that, as difficult that it is. So if that's the case, then who are we to presume what happens to us next? James also reminds us that our lives are short. He says it's but a mist. My grandfather lived until he was 92 years old. That's a long time. But in the big scheme of things, it's just a mist, James is saying. And that's a difficult thing for us. It's like a vapor. It's there, but then it disappears. I thought about grabbing a water bottle that I have in the kids' room and spraying water at the kids this morning, but I figured that wouldn't be great because it's going to eventually go away. You'll see it, but then it's gone, right? It's like a vapor. It's a mist. He says it quickly goes away. It doesn't last. It doesn't linger. It doesn't stay there. So we're only here, and because we're only here for a short period of time, we have one chance until eternity, We have that one chance until eternity. So where does that focus need to occur is kind of where we're heading with this. Where does that focus need to be if we only have that short period of time? Because this individual I'm going to share with in a moment is much more eloquent than I am and much more intelligent. I'm going to let Francis Chan, a pastor from the Bay Area, answer that question. There's a video I want to share with you.
Like I said, I definitely could not have said that better. But he's right, isn't he? We focus so much of our attention on that red part, on that, that, that mist, that vapor that James talked about there. And, and what we have to realize is that, that our short lives cannot be characterized by what we do. It can't be characterized as, as where we've been or what we have. And, and James is warning us we have to have that, that focus on eternity, that, that red part, that red part of that rope that he talked about, that's, that's the part that, that leads to what happens in eternity, and that's, that's where we need to have that focus. So, again, I don't, I don't want you to misinterpret what, what's being stated, because, again, what we do here on earth is obviously important, and, and the scriptures aren't teaching us against this idea of planning. We saw it particularly when we looked at the Proverbs, um, but it's all throughout the scriptures that we know that we need to provide for our families. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 5a, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We know that we need to provide for our families, so we need to work. We know that we must save for our future, for our children and our children's children. The Proverbs tell us that, Proverbs 13, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. So we know we have to do these things. James is not teaching against that. He's saying that we need to put God first. He's reminding us that this must be done with the Lord, not apart from the Lord. And because doing that, what it's doing is presuming, like we saw at the beginning of our passage, is presuming that we can do this on our own. And we know we can't do this on our own. In verse 16, he concludes with the, the next point, and that's this. He says that they are boasting in their pride. When they go about business without the Lord, they're boasting in their pride. And we see this, and, and if you take a look at it closely, it does directly ties back to last week's passage, particularly verses 8 through 10. James focused there on this, like, this antidote of worldliness. That's what we saw last week, and it was characterized by what? Repentance. It was characterized by repentance and humility and a humble heart before the Lord. And if you really look at James's letter so far, we see that he keeps coming back to this idea of pride and this idea of, of humility. He keeps coming back to that. There are so many dangers to pride, isn't there? So many dangers to pride in our lives. Some of them, make me, for example, God doesn't get the credit for what happens in our lives when we're prideful. We don't give God the credit that he deserves. We don't get to use these gifts that God has provided for us because we're not acknowledging that it comes from him. We're not depending on him if we're depending on our own self. And then we're also serving ourselves and we're not serving others and we're not serving our Lord when pride gets in the way. Pride's a very dangerous thing. James also says what? He says it's evil. He says your boasting is evil. And we saw this last week too, this idea of worldliness being apart from God, apart from God puts us in that category of evil versus good. This idea of light and darkness as, as we see even from, from John and the Apostle John, 1 John 1, 5, this is the message you have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. 
And we know from the scriptures, if you've been here a while, you've seen that. And you know from the scriptures that light and darkness is a picture of good and evil. He says, if you're, God is light. And in him there is no, there is no evil. There is no darkness. So the set of verses is a warning against those who ignore God. And instead they're focused solely on themselves. And I'm not going to stand here and say that's not an, it, it's hard. It's hard not to do that particularly because the world says otherwise. So that was the, the dangerous plan. So the next thing we want to talk through is this right path that we see in verses 15 and 17. This right path that we see here, this path is categorized by two things as well. Two things we see here. The first thing is that we trust the will of the Lord. We trust the will of the Lord. Verse 15 reminds us that we're to speak confidently understanding that it comes from him. We speak confidently as we seek his will. And we've all heard it, I'm sure, especially if you've been in the church to, you know, for a while. See you next week, Lord willing, right? We, we've seen that. We do it. I've done it. And it's not this empty thing that we do, this Christian thing that we do. If we do it sincerely, it's, a, it's an acknowledgement, God willing, I'll be here, and I'll see you again. Or God willing, I'll be there next week. Or God willing, I can stay. God willing, these things. It's an acknowledgement that God is fully in charge. It's, a, it's an attitude of dependence on our Father. It's an attitude of dependence. Understand that he's going to direct our path. He's going to direct our ways. And this passage is also a lesson in this idea of sovereignty that we talked about a moment ago, and this idea of providence, big old church words. Okay, this idea of pro, uh, sovereignty, I like the way John Piper put it. He says it can be defined as God's right and power to do all that he decides to do. It's God's right, and he's got the power to do all that he decides to do. Piper also defined providence like this. He says it's absolutely everything that needs to be done to bring about his purposes. God will see that it happens. God sees that it, it will happen. That means we're not in charge of what happens, and that's a difficult thing for us to understand. Think about it. Have you ever experienced something that just doesn't seem to make sense? Like, how did we end up here? How did this happen? Right? Something happens, and it just doesn't make sense that it happened the way it did. But then years down the, low, the, the line, maybe you've, you see it, and you're like, whoa, that was a God thing. Have you ever experienced that? I love the, uh, the example of, of my parents. My parents, logic says they should never have met. My mom, a, a Baptist from Georgia. My dad, a Catholic from East L.A. Somehow they end up in Fort Huachuca in 1980. And my mom wasn't supposed to be there. If I remember the, the story correctly, my mom was not supposed to be in that training. My mom was sick, and she had to stay back. So they ended up in the same training class. And my dad went to go take care of her because she was sick. And the, obviously the rest is history. 41 years later, they're happily married. That wasn't supposed to happen. How do, you, right, how do you put that together? That's not supposed to happen. And I've shared this before, but my, my car accident in 2004, it led me to Manhattan Beach instead of Arcadia, which is outside of Pasadena. It led me there in a completely different career path where I eventually met my wife. Seven weeks prior to that, it wouldn't have happened that way, but God made that happen. So 
regardless of our plans for our lives, and we've all been there too, I'm sure, regardless of our plans for our lives, God's going to do what he plans for us to do, regardless of what happens. He knew all those things were going to happen. He knew this is where we were going to be. He knew that you were going to be here in this very moment. So this idea of will is really just that. It's God allowing something to happen because that was his plan for us all along. But we should always be doing that. We should always be seeking his will. So I want to answer this question, how do we do this? How do we, how do we seek his will? A couple things in mind. Num- number one is we need to know who you are in Christ. Know who you are in Christ. Ephesians chapter one is one of those great books and chapters that kind of helps paint that picture for us. So if you have time this week, go ahead and take a look at that. We're not going to have time to go through the full chapter, um, but I want to share at least five things that it says from that, that, uh, that chapter about who we are in Christ. Uh, first thing, or one of the things he says is we're saints. He says we are blessed. He says we're chosen. He says we're accepted. And he says we're redeemed and forgiven of our sins. That's who we are in Christ. Those are just a few examples from Ephesians chapter 1. Next thing we need to do is we need to know that God's timing is always right. Again, that's hard too, particularly if you're dealing with something that just doesn't make sense. And you've been faithful and you've been on your knees every day and it still happens. But for some reason, it still does. God knows what's going to happen and he did it in a specific time. Think about it this way. Romans chapter 5 verse 6 tells us this. For a while, we were still weak. And at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. They were waiting and waiting and waiting for Messiah. Today, we're waiting and waiting and waiting for God to re- for Christ to return but in his timing, he's going to do that. And we don't know, but it was at the right time when Christ came and died for the ungodly. Second Peter 3.9, speaking of waiting for God, for Christ's return. Second Peter 3.9 says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We think it's, it's been too long like, why are we still here 2,000 plus years later? God, God's timing, he will return. Next thing we need to do here is we do what is right. And that's what we, we learn here in verse 15 or 17. He says we do what is right. Not doing what's right is a sin. Very blunt, very, very simple to understand there. This idea of so in, verse, in, in the ESV, if you're reading along in the ESV or just following on the screen, the word so in verse 17 could also be translated therefore. Anytime we see the word therefore, we've got to understand what it's there for. So verse 17 is a, a connector. It, it helps us to see that it's directly connected to what we just read. So what is right? Well, in its most simplest form in context is what we've seen from James already in this letter. But obviously what we do is we need to go back to the word of God, the entire scriptures, and understand what is right from that. Luke 10 is a, is a very familiar story, I'm sure, to most of you. It's a story of the, the Good Samaritan. And it's called that for an obvious reason. But let me just give you like a quick overview and understand and point out this idea and the sin of not doing what is right. So, again, you're familiar with the story, I'm sure. But if you're not, there was a man who was beaten and left for dead on the side of a road. And a priest walks by, sees this man... And just continues by. He actually crossed the road to the other side and he went around him. 
few moments later, a Levite comes and he does the same exact thing. He just walks across the road and walks around him. And then a Samaritan comes through. And the Samaritan, as you know, they're enemies of the Jewish people. The Samaritan of all people, he walks by, sees this man in need. He bandages him up. He throws him on his donkey. He takes him to the Holiday Inn. And he makes sure he gets the care and the comfort that he needed. And, and the sin from the priest and the Levite who knew because the law tells them so, they, they knew what they needed to do. But the sin was that they refused to do so. They left the man there to die. That was the sin. They, they, they refused to do what they knew what was right. And I'm sure we're very guilty of that sometimes as well. So that's really what James is talking about there. He's like, I've given you this wisdom. You've known the scriptures. Some of these people may have even seen Christ in person, yet they still, still refuse to do what was right. So this morning what we've seen is we've seen that a wise disciple, a wise disciple seeks the Lord's will in all of their steps, not just a couple of their steps, not just when it feels convenient, but in all of our steps. So how do we do that? How do we seek the Lord's will? I want to review a a passage that, again, I believe is very familiar. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. One of my favorite verses, one of my wife's favorite verses. It's not much different than what James is talking about here, is it? We seek that will of God, and we seek his will by, by trusting that the Lord knows what he's doing. Again, when we face difficulties, sometimes we just don't understand it, but God knows what he's doing. And we have to recognize that, hey, God still knows what's best for us, even in these moments. God knows what's best for us. And we must recognize that his ways are not our ways. And that's what we read in Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah says this uh, from the Lord. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as heaven's For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Our ways are not like his. Our thoughts are not like his. And that's what we see from Isaiah. Maybe you've been laid off before. Maybe you've gotten into a a situation or a job or something where you're just miserable. Maybe, Maybe you've been sick. Maybe you've lost somebody and it's not what you've expected. And maybe it's, you know, all these things just add stress to your life and stress to those loved ones around you. And as difficult as it is, what we need to do is surrender wholly to God in those moments. Give it to him. Lay it at the altar. Because that's sometimes all we're able to do because we can't do these things on our own. And we all might be asking ourselves in those moments, like, why did this happen? What was the purpose of this? And if nothing else, it's to glorify God because of how we handle it and how we go to him in these moments. And it, sometimes it doesn't make sense. Next thing here is we need to acknowledge and, and we draw closer by acknowledging that we're not in charge. This is hard for us too. This is very difficult for us, particularly if you've, you know, you've been in leadership positions or you're a parent. It's hard to not surrender that 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 authority so this has been one of those encouraging encouraging truths in my life and in my faith 
And I'd be lying if I told you I handle this very well all the time. I sure don't. But I can distinctly remember in July of 2013, there was a whole lot going on. And the only thing that kept me sane was knowing that God was still in charge and God still knew what he was doing. And in that, that single week, there was issues with our house. It got flooded. There was issues with, with the pregnancy with Gabrielle. And there was issues with my job. My position was legitimately on the line as I was looking for another job within the department and within the industry. So there was a lot going on. And I remember talking to somebody about it in the back office. I'm like, wait, what, what's happening? All this is going on? It's like, why, why, why are you good? I'm like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> I missed an opportunity to share the Lord with that young lady. But after, in hindsight, I look back, I'm like, God was in control, and I, I somehow accepted that in that moment, knowing that there was nothing I can do to control the circumstances that were happening. And I just had to rely on him to do so. And that got us through that situation. It was a very difficult couple of weeks. And I, I wanted to share some words that are kind of unexpected from Daniel chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar himself said these words. He's like, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does, not, he does what is according to his will. And he's speaking about the Lord here. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? So even King Nebi understood that the Lord wills, that is going to overcome anything else. Nothing happens that God does not allow. Nothing happens that God is not aware of. And then finally, the, the last way that we can seek the Lord's will is we need to have the mind of Christ. It's by having the mind of Christ. Paul reminds us of this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where he says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So what does that mean? I found this really good resource. Having the mind of Christ means that we understand God's plan in this world, which is to bring glory to himself, to restore creation to its original splendor, and provide salvation for sinners. It means that we identify with his purposes to seek and save what is lost. It means that we share his perspective of humility and obedience compassion, and prayerful dependence on God. So that's having the mind of Christ is understanding these things and employing them in our lives. This isn't easy, particularly, again, if we try to do this on our own. So in those moments, maybe you need an accountability partner. Maybe you need a prayer partner. Maybe you need somebody to come alongside of you to help you through anything that you might be dealing with. Maybe if it's, if it's a, a, an unrepentant sin, you have to repent from that sin turn to the Lord and have him take control and allow him to take control of your lives. And, and if any of those describe you, you're not alone in that. It's not something that's abnormal for either of us to, to, to be in. So today is that day. Today's that day that we have to wholly surrender to the Lord in all areas of our lives. And we can take comfort because we know he knows what's best for us. So I ask, will you do that today? Will you wholly surrender to the Lord? Let's pray. Father, I don't know who needed to hear this today. Um, and I know that uh, many people here are dealing with a lot of stuff, or they have recently. 
and it's difficult. It's very difficult to understand the purpose behind all these things. It's, it's difficult not to worry about your checking account. It's, it's difficult not to, to worry, you know, that, you know, business is down, so where's that next check going to come from? Or, or things are difficult in, in my marriage. All these things are hard because it, it's something that we deal with every day. So I just pray, God, that you help each and every one of us if we're dealing with something difficult. Help us to surrender to you, God. Help us to understand that we cannot do this without you. Help us to understand that we need to fully depend on you and, and, and make you part of those plans and, and seek you first in those plans in our lives so we can honor you in doing so. Help us not to keep you out of those plans because that will be honoring to you, God, if we seek you first because all these things will be added unto us. You said that in Matthew 6. So help us to do that, Father, today and the days to follow. And help us to seek your will and understand, God, that today's the day. If we need to make a change, today's that day. We need to, to seek you because, unfortunately, tomorrow's not promised. But we have to look forward to eternity because that is what you have promised for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.